bloody rampant. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Rampant Rundown, a socio-political podcast hosted by the ghostess with the mostess, <laughs> me, Lady Rampant. Thank you so much to everyone who tuned in last week to our episode on intersectional feminism. I hope Julia and I were able to give you pumpkin to talk about and which, please, don't forget you can find a new episode of the Rampant Rundown every Wednesday evening at 5pm on all good places podcasts are found. Beautiful. <laughs> yes, that's right. It's Halloween. Or should I say Halloween? <laughs> I want to wish everyone listening this week uh, across the world a fantastic Halloween. I know it's technically on Saturday, but wherever and however you're celebrating this year, if you've got it, haunt it, honey. <laughs> I'm actually from just outside Kilmarnock in Ayrshire. And for some reason, we like to celebrate it on the last Friday of the month. I think my mum told me when I was wee that it was something to do with payday, like being the last Friday of the month. But anyways, it's wishful thinking. If you think that I'm going to be trailing about the doors this year with Miss Rona and the Loose, I will be sitting back at home trick-or-treating myself to a big glass of rosy wine. <laughs> anyways, this week we will be discussing gender recognition reform. And of course, what are we here to do at the Rampant Rundown? We are here to highlight. We are here to amplify and we are here to signpost you to more charities and more services than there are remakes of Halloween. Somebody's about to tell Jamie Lee Curtis to give up the ghost. I think she's made enough films. <laughs> Actually, do you know what as well? I'm going to stop the Halloween puns as well because it's going to be hard to keep going the whole episode. <laughs> I'm giving myself extra work here. And to be quite honest, they're quite shy, aren't they? They're not very Scottish. Mm. Comedy Queen will find out next week. <laughs> In section one, I will highlight some general facts about gender recognition and indeed gender recognition reform, which is the main topic of this week's episode. In section two, I will have a one-to-one -one interview with this week's very special guest, who is a trans woman and LGBTQ plus equality officer at the SRC University of Glasgow. How fabulous, I can't wait to speak to her. And of course, in section three, we will signpost you to charities, services and organisations that you can support and become involved in right now. Before we begin, quick disclaimer, um, I should say that as someone who identifies as gay and as genderqueer, um, I don't have first-hand experience of being transgender or indeed going through any sort of transition process. Um, I am by no means an expert on trans issues either. Uh, and because of my identity, I do actually benefit from certain privileges in society. One of those being that I'm cis male passing out of drag. So when I'm speaking, I'm not speaking on behalf of the trans community or for the trans community. Um, but instead, I just want to use the platform that I have with drag, with the podcast, uh, to bring some awareness to issues that are facing the, the trans community today. Um, as a staunch trans ally myself, I think it's really important that we do show up, we do highlight and we do support the trans community however we can. 
And because let's face it, the LGBTQ plus community would not be what it was today if it were not for the efforts of trans people decades ago. And in particular, trans women of colour, of course. So I think it's really important that we do have these conversations, but more importantly, that we do amplify trans people's voices on the matter. And uh, I genuinely hope that that's something that we're able to do uh, with this week's episode. So sit back and enjoy. You get to listen to my voice for a good 40 minutes or so. I should also say, by the way, that all of the information I mentioned today, don't worry, I've no made it up. (laughs) It's either been taken from the NHS website or it's been taken from the government website and resources on there, like the House of Commons briefing papers and things like that. And also information from charities like uh, the Scottish Trans Alliance. Um, So the information's all in the public domain. Don't worry, you can go find it yourself. I've just um, consolidated it and made it into this listener-friendly version, if you like. So let's get started then. And I want to just start with some general facts and information about gender. And uh, one of those I think is a good place to start is the difference between sex and gender. Now, it goes without saying that, of course, both are linked to some degree, but um, they are actually separate facets of someone's identity. And you would think nowadays that that is just sort of commonly accepted fact fact, and that most people think that. Um, But I still see people conflating them all the time and it is really frustrating. Um, And I don't just mean like individuals or like, not necessarily friends, but you just see it online as well sometimes. And uh, it's not even just individuals, it's also employers and big companies. Um, A few examples that I experienced recently were BA and the post office. So honestly, I only have two words to that, and that is do better. But um, according to the World Health Organization, then, sex on one hand is biologically defined, whereas gender, on the other hand, is a social construct. Sex is, of course, determined by a person's anatomy, and that's produced by their chromosomes, hormones, interactions, and stuff like that. Now, it's usually either male or female, Uh, with natural variations known as intersex. But on the other hand, gender identity um, is a personal, internal perception of of someone, of oneself that you feel for yourself. And gender expression, of course, is the external element to that, based on how someone presents themselves, or whether that's through their appearance, or through their dress, or through their behaviour, whatever. So unlike sex, of course, gender is not binary. It's not one or the other. And in fact, gender is a broad spectrum that people can identify on however they like, whether that's on the spectrum, off the spectrum, you name it. Some genders, of of course, are transgender, non-binary, gender fluid, gender non-conforming, gender queer, like myself. Um, Over the years as well, this really gets under my skin. Um, I've seen people try to quantify how many genders there are and I've seen the media in the past sort of jump on this with like big headlines like there are now 42 genders there are now 56 genders and and stuff like that and see to be honest I actually think what does that matter like what does that add or benefit your life in any way Um, in my opinion I think trying to quantify gender is actually quite problematic because at the end of the day what we're going to be doing is we're always going to be putting people into one box or another whether that's 60 boxes or no um and i don't think that's fair because of course many people exist outside of the gender spectrum and i think by trying to put them in a box it's really problematic i I don't think we should be doing that at all because at the end of the day all genders are very much valid 
So anywho, because sex and gender are different, of course that means that someone's gender might not actually align with their birth sex. People whose gender does align with their birth, birth sex are known as cisgender, and people whose gender does not align with their birth sex are known as transgender or non-binary or however they wish to self-describe their gender. But I should say as well, important to note is that transgender people and non-binary people are not new. These are not new terms. This is not a new phenomenon. And um, trans people and non-binary people have existed since the dawn of time. And uh, I think nowadays what we see as well is a lot of rhetoric from transphobes and from the far right that people are um, expressing their gender are uh, part of woke culture and stuff like that. But that's absolutely not true. And I think that's a very short-sighted view to take as well, because if you look at history, um, the dominant gender system that we know nowadays was actually native to Europe and uh, was actually imposed upon large parts of, across the world um, through the process of European colonisation, which is actually quite shocking when you think of it. It's really saddening. Um, but it's not new. It's not woke. And these people have existed for years and are valid. So gender in itself, of course, what we can see is a very, very, very much a social construct that was actually exported to other parts of the world. Anyways, next time your pals are throwing a gender reveal party, hopefully one that doesn't start a fire, <laughs> but next time your pals are throwing a gender reveal party with the girlies and a few bottles of cheap Prosecco, go to point out to them, please, that it's actually not a gender reveal party at all. It is a sex reveal party, and what they're actually doing is announcing their unborn baby's genitals to the world. That's actually what they're doing, and it's bloody weird, to be quite honest. <laughs> Now, as I mentioned, transgender people are those uh, whose gender does not align with their birth sex. And right now, this is called gender dysphoria, and which is actually a recognised medical condition. So if they choose to, of course, transgender people may start transitioning to be more in conformity with their, with their gender identity. Uh, this can be socially, such as uh, presenting differently or using different pronouns. Or they can transition legally by changing their legal gender via gender recognition certificate. Or indeed, of course, this can be medically, such as taking hormones or having surgical treatment to bring their personal characteristics, their physical physical characteristics, sorry, uh, more in conformity with their gender. So there's a social transition, a legal transition, and of course, a medical transition. Um, for example, medical transition, a trans man may have top surgery to remove breast tissue and things like that. However, I think it's really important to note as well that trans people have a vast and diverse range of identities and experiences. And uh, the choice to transition very much lies with the individual themselves. It's not up to anyone else. Um, transgender people are transgender and transgender people are valid, irrespective of whether or not they choose to transition. That is their own right. Um, but now that I've sort of outlined some differences, of course, between sex and gender um, and, and what it really means to sort of not be cisgender, whether that's gender non-conforming or transgender, um, I want to talk about gender recognition and the process for legally changing your gender here in the UK, here in Scotland, because that's been the subject of... Uh, of debate, unfortunately. I don't believe trans people's existence should be part of a debate, but that's where we are right now. And it's been the topic of a lot of discourse recently. Um, and even this year, there were no developments. So I think that's quite important that we touch on that. 
Now, there is, of course, a separate process for children who are legally changing their gender here in the UK and Scotland, but that's actually beyond the scope of what I want to touch on today in the podcast. Um, now, the process for actually changing your gender um, in the UK right now is regulated by the Gender Recognition Act 2004 um, in England and Wales, and that actually came into force in 2005. So that was actually 15 years ago, and 15 years ago, in my opinion, is a long, long time actually for a piece of legislation uh, not to be looked at or not to be updated. And uh, what the Gender Recognition Act does is it enables transgender people to apply for a gender recognition certificate uh, at a gender recognition panel. The successful applicants of this will receive uh, their certificate uh, and from the date of that they will be considered in law as their acquired gender. Um, I should actually note as well that to change your gender legally is not actually a requirement that a person has undergone undergone <laughs> undergone any sort of like physical uh, alterations any sort of medical uh, surgery nothing like that they they don't have to do that if they want to legally change their gender now there are three routes to legally change your gender right now in the uk route one which is used by 95 percent of applicants has three requirements number one uh, the individual must be diagnosed with gender dysphoria and they are able to provide two medical reports, one from a registered medical practitioner or psychologist in the field of gender dysphoria and one from a GP or another doctor. Number two, they have to prove that they have lived in their acquired gender for at least two years. Number three, they need to provide a statutory declaration that they intend to live permanently in their acquired gender until death. Now that's route one. Route two is used by 1% of people, and that is for people who have actually already transitioned. Um, and there are different sort of evidential requirements for that. And route three is used by 4% of people in the UK. And that is actually the overseas method where they have to prove that they've transitioned um, or legally changed their gender abroad. Sorry, that's the overseas track for 4% of people. Now, since route one is used by 95% of people, and that is the main process that people are using in the UK, we're going to discuss that. We're going to focus on that because it is that process that there are several issues with um, and certain uh, additional requirements that um, are really now seen as outdated by the trans community and other trans allies. Now, the first, which is a huge, huge, huge hurdle for the trans community, is the fact that this is a medicalised approach um, of the process. In the UK government's 2018 consultation, trans respondents felt that requiring this sort of diagnostic psychiatric report, um, by doing so, the process actually perpetuates the idea that being trans is a mental illness. Um, this approach regarding mental health diagnosis pathologizes trans identities and it actually it runs counter to um to the dignity and the personal autonomy of trans people who are applying for the gender recognition certificate also as i said two reports are needed from two different doctors one of whom specializes in gender dysphoria meaning that an individual will have to attend a gender identity clinic now the waiting times to actually get on to a gender identity clinic in the uk on the nhs are staggering they are absolutely horrific and um, the tavistock and portman gender identity clinic in england is uh, is actually still booking appointments for people who were referred to the service in september 2017 um and people have had to wait an average of like 33 to 36 months, which like, come on, that is three years. But another issue that the process creates is where the 95% of 
of people using process number one. Another issue this creates is it is intrusive and it is burdensome on the people who are are going through it. Um, as part of the process, of course, trans people have to collect a range of personal identification documents, other documentation, information about their medical history, finances, identity, which they need to gather all of this up. And then they need to send that to other people so that those other people on the panel can decide if that person is their gender identity that they say they are. It's absolute madness. Um, and the UK government consultation in 2018 actually found that this puts people off. And to be honest, I, I'm not surprised that they're put off by this process. It's so intrusive, it's so burdensome, and it's just time wasted, really. Um, and to me, that what it does is it runs counter to the basic human dignity of trans people, um, from which all of our human rights derive. It, it's awful. And I, I personally feel sorry to the trans community that this is the current state of affairs, and this is what they actually have to endure. Um, now, lastly, there is an issue which is applicable to all routes, actually, and that is to apply for a gender recognition certificate. Well, you must be 18, but you also need to pay a fee right now of £140 um, and any other associated costs with that. There's no sort of right of appeal to this either, so you can only appeal if it's on a point of law, not necessarily on the substance. Um, now... That is a lot of issues that arise out of this process and the consequences of these issues can be really severe. The waiting times on the NHS, like I've just said, they're absolutely shocking and these are damaging people's mental health. Um, many trans people may suffer from mental health problems already, but these large waiting times actually exasperate depression and, and place trans people at a higher risk of suicide or self-harm. Um, because of this, of course, trans people, if they don't want to wait on the NHS waiting times, and absolutely rightly so, because they're so long, then they may actually start using private medical care for their transition. Now, that has issues in itself, of course, because private medical uh, care is expensive. Um, and oftentimes people just can't afford the costs involved for whether that's the initial appointment, whether that's medication, you name it. People as well raise funds for their transition if they're doing this privately through GoFundMes, crowdfunders, other other sort of um, crowdfunding platforms. But oftentimes as well, transgender people might turn to sex work in order to fund their transition privately. Um, and sex work, of course, is valid work. The same as going to your office, nine to five is, it is valid work. But that may not be the first choice of people who are just wanting to transition and fund their transition. Um, what's more, not obtaining one of these gender recognition certificates and legally changing your gender can actually have disastrous consequences and fatal consequences in a lot of circumstances. To take an example, one that I've worked on previously was um, trans women who were placed in male-only prisons because they didn't have a gender recognition certificate or hadn't legally changed their gender. Um, in 2015, Vicky Thompson was an English trans woman who was actually placed in a, an all-male prison in Leeds. And she actually warned um, of this, that this would cause her harm and, and do her harm. But the authorities didn't listen and she was placed in a man's prison and later committed suicide. Um, but she's just one example of um, a plethora of trans women in England who have suffered the same fate. It's really, um, it's really saddening, to be quite honest. Now... Um, that's the issues that arise out of the gender recognition process that we have um, in the UK right now. And I honestly think that the UK is failing trans people and our trans community in this aspect. 
uh, and non-binary people as well. So in 2016, the UK government said that it would actually review uh, the Gender Recognition Act and look at reforming it. So in 2018, what they did was they released a public consultation um, on how the process could be streamlined and uh, more better serve the, the trans community. This actually was largely uh, completed and filled out. I believe there was over 100,000 responses to this. And um, a main factor about this consultation, why it was so important, was it... Um, one of the options that was up for discussion was the removal of the medicalisation of the process. Um, so like the two reports that are required uh, by doctors and actually opting for a self-identification process instead sort of shifting this to the individual themselves. Now, the process to self-identify as your chosen gender would consist of signing a declaration, like a legal document, probably in front of like a magistrate or something, without it having to provide any sort of mental diagnosis or any sort of mental health requirement of uh, gender dysphoria. Uh, Self-identifying would be, in my opinion, a much far simpler process, to be honest, and it would not require this medical diagnosis that we see. Um, so it would be much less intrusive for trans people and uh, it would actually include recognising non-binary identities and be much more accessible to individuals uh, who are 16 and 17. Now, that was uh, part of the consultation that was up for debate. But uh, last month, unfortunately, Liz Truss, who is the Minister for Women and Equalities right now in the UK government, sadly announced that the UK government had dropped its plans to allow gender self-identification plans for trans people to go forward and that it would continue with a medical diagnosis process uh, that would still be required in England and Wales. Their compromise, which, I mean, if you call this a compromise, I don't think it is, it does not go far enough, but their compromise was that they would cut the cost of obtaining a gender recognition certificate down to, uh, I think it was like nominal amounts was their quotation from the the £140 that it currently is, um, and that they would move the process online, they said. Um, but there, this medical process would still, of course, take place. You would have to obtain uh, medical records and prove gender dysphoria. But that is massively outdated, and that actually runs contrary, like I've said several times, to the dignity and the personal autonomy of the trans person going through this process, the one in the driver's seat of the position of their own gender, is not in the driving position or the driving seat of legally changing their gender identity. It just doesn't add up. Um, so in my opinion, this absolutely has to change. And it's not, it's not as if it's something new or revolutionary or groundbreaking, the process of self-identification, because countries right now, such as the Republic of Ireland, a stone's throw across the water, Argentina, Portugal, Belgium, they have a process of self-identification for uh, legally changing your gender. And France and Germany, our European neighbours, although they don't actually have a self-identification process, um, they don't have a medicalised procedure. So it's much more simpler than it is here in the UK. We're much further behind um, in, in terms of trans emancipation in this issue. So it's really quite saddening to see that this is still the case, um, especially when we know that the gender clinic, the gender identity clinic waiting times are so long um, and there are so few of them. Right now in Scotland, we have four gender identity clinics, one in Glasgow, one in Edinburgh, Aberdeen and Inverness. Um, and what's more shocking about this actually is that in England, a country with 10 times the population of us in Scotland only has, guess how many? Seven 
seven gender clinics, gender identity clinics on the NHS throughout the whole of England. And it's absolutely shocking. It's barbaric. Um, I think there's one in Wales and I think there's two in Northern Ireland. Um, so to sort of combat this, Liz Truss said that the government was actually going to open three new gender identity clinics uh, in the new year in England and Wales, which we've yet to see. And to be honest, time's ticking. 2020 is nearly done. Thank God, may I say. <laughs> but 2020 is nearly done. Um, and actually, when they, this was announced, a spokesperson for the Equality and Human Rights Commission came out and said that we welcome the steps of the reduced fees and increased amounts of gender identity clinics to reduce waiting times. But this is a missed opportunity to simplify the law on gender recognition whilst maintaining robust safeguards. And see, when you hear that, that missed opportunity, it gives you chills, like my stomach drops, like I get this feeling in my stomach, like dread like it being a missed opportunity and I couldn't agree more because I think what the UK government has done right now is it has placed trans people on a very different path and um, it's mapped out a very different path for trans people and non-binary people for years to come um, by continuing this medicalised approach because now when the law is changed in England and Wales it won't change until we go through this consultation process and uh, reform process again and who knows when that is going to be to be honest and um, so it's very saddening it's very disheartening um, but I should say that uh, the process here in Scotland is slightly different. Uh, gender recognition in Scotland is a devolved matter, meaning that um, it's within the competence of the Scottish Parliament to legislate on this if they want to do so, and they have. Um, we have separate legislation in Scotland governing gender recognition. Uh, and similarly, like England and Wales and the UK government, Scotland also released a consultation, and that consultation led to the Gender Recognition Reform Bill consultation. So they produced a bill... Um, that's not legislation yet, but they produced a bill which made proposals to remove this uh, requirement to apply to a UK gender recognition panel and remove the medicalised process of requiring this gender uh, dysphoria diagnosis. Now, the only reason that I know a little bit about this is because I worked with the SNP out for India at the time to promote the Gender Recognition Reform Bill consultation um, and ask people to fill it in. I filled it in myself and... Um, that consultation right now it is on hold due to COVID-19 um, but it's important to note that the consultation on the reform bill it hasn't been scrapped in Scotland it hasn't been changed yet and it hasn't been dropped actually what we've seen is Shirley Ann Somerville who's the cabinet secretary responsible for a gender recognition act in Scotland right now and the reform she sent a letter to the Scottish Trans Alliance saying that the Scottish government continues to have a strong commitment to reform the Gender Recognition Act and improve the current process for trans people. So that's not to say that the reform won't change in future and it might double down. If it does, I'll be very disappointed. But um, there is still a commitment. So hopefully after Miss Rona is by, um, <laughs> as sooner the better, then the Scottish Government will get back on track to sort of put this into law. We don't know what the law will look like right now, like in final form. But at least it's a step in the right direction that would improve the, the lives of many trans people here in Scotland. So I think that's a good place to move on to section two of this week's episode and hear what our very special guest of the week has to say on the matter. OK, so moving on to section two of the episode this week, and it is my pleasure to welcome our very special guest. She is a trans woman and international student from Brazil studying here at the University of Glasgow. 
but she is also the LGBTQ plus officer at the SRC. How cool is yeah. that? It's Indigo Cores. Hello. Hi, <laughs> Hi darling. Yeah, you're welcome. How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah. Just good. chilling. <laughs> uni, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, I feel very much the same as well. Like just trying to stay productive, just trying to stay busy and, and making the most of right now, I guess. Honestly, yeah. Going to the park has been really nice for me as well. Just for yeah. a walk, just for a wonder. Yeah, I, I we don't really have many parks around where I live, but uh, maybe I'll start going out some walks a bit more, actually get out the house, because I've got no reason to do that right now. <laughs> yeah, with uni being online, I've just been looking at screens for so long that I kind of yeah. like going out and just chilling for a bit. Yeah, that's a really good idea. Uh, but like I mentioned, you are actually an international student here at the University of Glasgow right now. But uh, you're originally from Brazil. So I have yeah. a burning question. And that is, why Glasgow? Why Scotland? And uh, how did you decide to, to come here? It's, it was a long process, I have to say. I've been in the UK for five years now. Yes. So as soon as I turned 18, mm -hmm. I left Brazil. I did my foundation year in Bristol. Mm -hmm. And then I did my first year of uni in Bristol. I dropped out after a year because I didn't quite like the university. Mm -hmm. And then, I don't know, I chose Scotland because, mm -hmm. you know, trying to get out of the sun a bit. Brazil <laughs> 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 is so sunny and then Scotland is just literally freezing. But everyone's really lovely. Um, yeah, I really like the sense of community that we have in Scotland, mm -hmm. especially Glasgow Uni. We have a huge LGBTQ plus community. Mm -hmm. Glasgow Uni um, yeah I just wanted to leave Brazil and study and yeah. travel around so you lived in Bristol sorry and then did you come to Scotland after Bristol or did you live yeah. anywhere else yeah straight after yeah. No, yeah I stayed in Bristol for three years so after uni well after I dropped out I just worked mm -hmm. for a year and then I came to Scotland and oh. I've been here for two years now Amazing, yeah, and you definitely didn't come here for the sun. Nobody comes to Scotland no. <laughs> for the sun, absolutely not. <laughs> no, um, that's great. So you also, um, or sorry, I also mentioned that you are the LGBTQ plus officer at the SRC, uh, and yeah. that must be a really, really cool role. So can you tell us what do you do on a, a daily basis? It's honestly the best. I can do as little as much as I want. Um, I started last year in July. Okay. And I did loads of events. So I basically just represent and support LGBTQ plus students. Mm -hmm. But I mostly throw events for Transgender Day of Remembrance, mm -hmm. um, World's Day of Visibility, blah, blah, blah. Um, LGBTQ History Month, Pride, literally loads mm -hmm. of events that we've been doing this year. We did so many events last year and I was so, so happy. Mm -hmm. um, like, for example, Transgender Day of Remembrance, we had over 80 students, which is insane i really like wow. um when loads of trans people get together mm -hmm. and we did a candlelight vigil and it was so sweet honestly mm -hmm. everyone's so lovely and i get to chat yeah. with loads of people and meet loads of people as well so mm -hmm. yeah i can imagine so uh, in your role then uh, as the officer for lgbtq plus people you would say mostly events and connecting with people and sort of connecting with the the local community and the trans community in particular. yeah so i do a lot of work with GeoLGBTQ+, which is mm -hmm. the LGBTQ Society at the university. 
Mm -hmm. um, but also if any students need to talk about anything, mm -hmm. they can come to me. I've had a few students that came to me to report something at the uni or something. So I can, I can always help. I'm always free to help. So people mm -hmm. can just email me on my SRC email and yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, that's, that's fantastic. What we can do as well in section three of the episode um, and later on to our Rampant Rundown Instagram, we usually share some resources and information. So I can pop your email address on there as well. Um, That'll be perfect, yeah. Later Thank on, you. just, yeah, of course, in case anyone has any questions or um, wants to get in touch with you. Um, so yeah, thank you for that. Um, but I also, I mentioned in section one of the episode, uh, we were discussing uh, gender reassignment here in the UK. And uh, I was just wondering, what is your thoughts on the process that we have here in the UK right now? So the waiting list for gender clinics are mm -hmm. ridiculous, I have to say. Mm -hmm. um, I opted for going privately because I was on the waiting list for two years already for to get hormones and mm -hmm. everything else. So I kind of saved up for a year. Um, yeah, my thoughts on the process is that <laughs> it's very hard very emotional um i haven't received many emails of support even like just being on the waiting list i feel like they should at least contact us mm -hmm. to kind of see how we are doing on the list because literally waiting three years to see someone for the first time to then get hormones is just ridiculous yeah and uh, would you say that's the the current waiting time right now is around about like Two yeah, years plus, so two, three years, yeah. Two and a half, three years in Scotland. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm on the sand deferred waiting list and I've been on hormones for six months privately. But I've been on the waiting list for two years, so Okay. And would know. you say that it's relatively easy to to go private with this and to seek um to seek reassignment privately, or is it also quite difficult to do? I wouldn't say it's difficult, but it's definitely um, very privileged mm -hmm. to be able to do that because it's very expensive. Mm -hmm. um, for example, me, I went with your GP in Edinburgh, mm -hmm. and the first few consultations were £250 each, wow. which is quite expensive. Um, so it's definitely something that you need to have. That's why I was saving up for a long time mm -hmm. before I was able to do it. But um, in terms of difficulty, you have to see your main doctor and then you have to see a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. And both of them need to diagnose you with gender dysphoria. Mm -hmm. So it definitely depends on case by case, I think. For me, I only needed three to four sessions mm -hmm. before starting hormones, but some people need more. And some, yeah. It's at least three sessions that you need to start getting hormones mm -hmm. privately. And that's £250 per session, is that right? Yes. yes. So it's, it's very expensive. Um, yeah, and then after that, I every three months, I get my blood test taken. Mm -hmm. And for um, the review sessions that they say, the half an hour sessions, just to check your blood work and if you need more hormones or if you need less, um, that's £125. So, oh my goodness. So it's a yeah, it's a cost that you keep having to fork out for. Yeah, completely. Um, and so, yeah, with the with the long waiting lists and the long sort of delays that we have here for um, gender clinics, and indeed there is a real lack of gender clinics um, in themselves, what do you think we could do then to combat this to save people 
from having to go privately and having to spend this money? Is there anything in your opinion that you think we could be doing much better? Yeah, I think that's a big um, question because, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's, I think there's loads of things that we could be doing to make it better. Mm -hmm. um, definitely making trans healthcare a priority right now, but especially with what happened this past week with gender um, GP, mm -hmm. not providing hormones anymore for some trans people. I don't know if you've heard about it, but because of pressures from TERFs, they literally destroyed one of the biggest gender clinics in terms of like sending hormones. Uh -huh. um, so we definitely need to make a priority to make sure we have more clinics, mm -hmm. more people um, to talk to us, basically. Yeah. And do you think then that the reason for perhaps the lack of gender clinics, does it come down to funding? Is it an issue of funding or is it an issue of perhaps expertise or is it the process itself i just because obviously there are these huge delays and i just for three years is a ridiculously long time and i just can't get my head around what actually takes so long yeah. for that um i don't know in terms of funding because i'm not sure in terms of how much money the gender clinics get um but i don't know i really do not know yeah. it's hard because it's something that we really need but mm -hmm. i feel like the nhs is just but the nhs is also very underfunded so of course in general yeah yeah so it's very hard to you know mm -hmm. know what the reason is behind it yeah absolutely well i think the waiting times in the uk are shocking and i definitely think we should be looking at some way of of the cause of this and then sort of working on that to at least reduce the time because like you said going privately is a privilege for a lot of people and there will be a lot of trans people who can't afford to do that and their only mm -hmm. option may be um to go on the nhs and go public with the gender clinic um but if that's the process here then uh, i mentioned you're from brazil originally so what's the process like there is it the same is it different um it's a bit similar so we have a national health insurance and um, health service as well like the the uk mm -hmm. oh um, i didn't know that actually that you have yeah we do ah okay but um but the waiting times are a lot less yeah. so i think people usually wait around nine months to a year mm -hmm. to start getting hormones which is a lot better still not yeah. perfect of but course yeah a lot better um and the national health service that we have in Brazil, um, they do sex reassignment surgery. They do like everything. Mm -hmm. They just don't do some things that they classify as cosmetic surgery, mm -hmm. like facial feminization surgery or like breast augmentation. Mm -hmm. um, and for trans men, they still don't do um, bottom surgery mm -hmm. through the national health service. But they say it's because they don't, have the resources to do it okay um but yeah but they do help people with getting hormones mm -hmm. and most of the surgeries that they need so yeah. i'm really glad that brazil is doing great in that area but, yeah <laughs> yeah they're definitely doing better for sure nine months is a, a lot less than yeah uh, completely. three years for sure nine months in itself still isn't great like you said mm -hmm. but um it's a darn sight better than three years three. 
And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, sorry, but in Brazil, is there a process of uh, self-identification or? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so could you maybe tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I'm going back next year to be able to do that because I can't do that through the embassy. Mm -hmm. So I have to be in Brazil to do that. Okay. But basically, you just go to your local council and you get your, um, where you, you can get your birth certificate. And there you pay a fee. Mm -hmm. You give them loads of documentation saying that you, haven't, you don't have a criminal record. There's like loads of things that they ask for, but they don't ask for a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. or anything you don't have to go through a judge you just have to go there pay a fee show some of the documentations and then you'll be able to change your name and gender on your birth certificate mm -hmm. which is a very easy process compared to so many countries especially yeah. like the uk with the gender recognition act mm -hmm. um yeah in the uk it's a lot harder i would say yeah. to get the name and gender changed of course, and I believe there was um, plans and process for gender recognition reform in the UK and in, in Scotland um, and England, and I think actually in England recently that was that was um, it was scrapped. Essentially, they they've not taken it any further <coughs> the reform in that aspect. So, what then do you think is is next for gender reform in the UK? Do we? How I do think we go they should from here. Yeah, I think they should definitely go and do self-identification. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what most people said on the um, on the questionnaire that the England sent everyone. Mm -hmm. um, but they said, in, in response to that, they said it wasn't a priority right now. Yeah. Um, but definitely, I feel like we should do self-identification because loads of countries do that. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't become a problem like many serfs think it will become yeah of course. i don't feel like <laughs> i don't feel like um abusers will literally just go change their name name and gender just to go to a woman's toilet do you know what i mean I yeah just, of course i can't see that argument at all because people are not gonna go through a very intense process just to be able mm -hmm. to you know yeah it's because just ridiculous. that's oh. the thing self-identification process is still a process you still have to go through uh, legal means and if you're changing your your gender and your identity on official documents like a passport it's not really although it's more streamlined and better than the process we have now it's still a, it's still a legal process that you have to go through so again i agree with you i think the argument that terfs use uh, that people would do that completely falls flat because yeah. it's uh it's a it's a legal process that you're going through, but compare that with the practicalities of going into to space for women. It, it just doesn't make sense. Uh, no, it's <laughs> just, yeah. It's a big eye roll. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Um, but I think the UK should definitely go through self-identification. So many countries do then now. Yeah. So, and you know, we've never had problems in Brazil, at least until now, we didn't have any problems mm -hmm. in the self-identification process. Yeah, I think that's another thing. I was reading an article that there's there's very little to next to no evidence that people who use the self-identification process go on to do any sort of, uh, to go on to commit crime or to do any sort of wrongdoing. There's very little evidence to support that. Um, yeah. I was reading an article on the other, uh, about that the other day. I forget the name of it now. I can't remember. Maybe it was The Guardian or something. I'm not sure, but... I'll try and remember so I can include it in section three. Yeah. 
Um, but okay, thank you for that. Um, I, I, just moving on then, um, I have a question more just uh, on an individual basis and uh, a community basis, and that is what is the best way then to sort of be a trans ally, a, a proactive trans ally, and to support the trans community on a, on a daily basis? I think just respecting us, mm -hmm. respecting our gender, respecting where we are. Um, you know, if someone makes a mistake, um, correct them, mm -hmm. you know, um, send money to loads of GoFundMes. Mm -hmm. Actually, there's so many ways you can support our community right now. Um, just don't be an asshole, basically. <laughs> <laughs> the bare minimum, don't be an asshole. Like, literally, just <laughs> literally respect what we are saying and uh -huh. listen instead of, you know, trying to say that you also suffer or whatever. Everyone suffers in a, in a different level, but mm -hmm. just listen to us. Mm -hmm. Listen to what we have to say and help us, support us in any ways that you can. Mm -hmm. It could be financially, it could be emotionally, you know, it could be just be there for us. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, speaking then about, um, about support, are there any charities or organisations uh, that specifically support the trans community here in Glasgow or further afield in Scotland that you're aware of or would like to mention? So there is one that's really good that's been helping lots of people during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, which is called the Small Trends Library. They have one in Glasgow and one in Dublin, I believe. Um, and they've been doing grocery funds for trans people. So whenever someone needs anything, they will send like 50 pounds, 100 pounds. Mm -hmm. um, and you can just message them on Instagram. It's literally so easy. I feel like they've been doing so much. Mm -hmm. They are a very small organization, but they've been doing great in Glasgow. So I really like them. And in terms of the LGBT community in general, mm -hmm. um, definitely support the LGBT Unity Scotland, mm -hmm. which is an organization for asylum seekers and refugees from the LGBT community. Mm -hmm. um, and they've been doing great work as well in Scotland. So I would definitely support them as well. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, like I said, of course, uh, we'll, be posting your email address if, if that's okay with you and uh, anyone yeah, that's course. listening from the university um, or indeed uh, just wants to chat can then get in touch with you just to discuss these issues if you're happy with that. Yeah, yeah, of course. I'm yeah. more than happy to talk to anyone <laughs> at any time. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same. I love a good chat. I love a good Yeah, it's nice. <laughs> I guess that's a bit like sometimes that's the best part of the job is just being able to speak to people, just meeting new people, working with new people. Um, Honestly, I love meeting people. Yeah. It's so nice, especially queer people. Uh -huh. Like, you know, we understand each other. So, <laughs> yeah, I always feel that as well. Or whenever I'm in a social setting or if there's a, a queer person or an LGBTQ plus person and they, they say something and you're a little bit more relaxed or you're a little bit more at yeah. ease or you're just like, oh, love that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I want to say thank you very much for joining me this week, Indigo. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Same. Thank you so much. It was really <laughs> lovely literally getting your invite. Oh, I knew you before and I was like... <laughs> oh, that's, uh, that's very I knew sweet. you were. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was great to have you on. Thank you very much for joining me. 
Um, I think we'll move on to section three of the episode now, where I'll be signposting uh, different charities and organisations to uh, support our trans community. So thank you very much, Indigo. It's bye thank for now. You. Yes, you're welcome. You. Bye. 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 Anne. Bye. bye. Okay, now, so moving on to section three of the episode, and I want to just recap the discussion quickly, what we've said so far in section one, before signposting you to some charities and some services that you can become involved in right now to continue supporting the trans and non-binary communities. Um, like I said at the beginning, sex and gender are different. Sex is biological and gender is a social construct. People can be born where their sex and their gender don't align and they may identify as transgender or non-binary. To legally change one's gender, you need to obtain a gender recognition certificate from a gender recognition panel. And uh, this process is lengthy, it is uh, costly, it's intrusive. And it also is medicalised, which requires a diagnosis of gender dysphoria from a professional at a gender identity clinic. Now, the waiting times for these clinics are shocking and they're causing much harm to the trans community. So the UK government proposed reform. However, earlier this year, they dropped the plans to introduce a self-identification process. Instead, they were opting for more gender clinics, uh, which contrasts the situation here in Scotland, where... Um, our bill is currently on hold after COVID-19 uh, about introducing a self-identification process. So that's a wee, um, a wee recap for you. But how can you become involved right now to support the trans and non-binary community? Well, I would say, first of all, in the area of gender recognition, if there are any sort of government uh, consultations published again, whether that be the UK government or the Scottish government, I would fill these out. Please do so. Please fill them out. Please opt for the options which are going to benefit the trans community and non-binary community the most um, and be in accordance with their own self-determination and dignity to legally change their gender. Um, if you follow me on social media, then I will circulate these again if any sort of consultations are that reopen. So keep an eye out there. Um, if you are looking for any details of gender identity clinics in Scotland, where they are, their contact details, their address, telephone numbers, then you can check out the National Gender Identity Clinic Network for Scotland, which actually lists all the, all the specialist clinics that we have right now in the NHS. Their website is www.ngicns.scot.nhs.uk forward slash gender dash identity dash clinics. Self-referrals, of course, can be made to these clinics um, and then you can discuss your options available with the specialists. But I should note right now, I noticed on the website that Grampian and Edinburgh are not accepting self-referrals and referrals should come directly from a GP. Um, so that's the gender identity clinics that we have in Scotland. If you're looking for some further reading on the topic, if you want to continue reading about this, read some more, then there are some materials here that I've read. Um, I haven't read all of them, I should say. I've read most of them. but um, there is the Gender Recognition and Rights of Transgender People House of Commons Briefing Paper 8969, which was published this year. I read that and it's actually really good. It's very much in layman's terms. It's set out really nice. So it's very much accessible to read. Um, it's on the internet right now. That was the briefing paper 8969. 
Um, there's also Rachel Bower, um, Gender Recognition Reform. The current debate is misconceived on the Oxford Human Rights Hub blog. I read that. If you just type that title in Google, it will come up. And what that is, is that's outlining the misconception about how trans people could just somehow say, oh, hey, presto, and their gender is legally changed, which is an argument that's been used right now by transphobes in the far right. So that's good about debunking the misconceptions uh, surrounding that. There's also the Stonewall statement on reports that key gender recognition act reforms are set to be dropped. Uh, that was published in June this year. That's uh, given more information, like I said, about the UK government abandoning the proposals for self-identification. There's also a good resource on the Stonewall website as well, Gender Recognition Act. What is it? Um, and it just gives you some more information, facts and figures. It's quite good. Uh, there's also on the website of the Scottish Trans Alliance Equal Recognition Campaign to Reform the Gender Recognition Act. It's on their website. If you type that in in Google, it will bring you up an eight-page PDF document. That's really good as well. It's not too much to read. Like I said, eight pages. You can skim through it, laid out nice and accessible for you. Um, so that's some further reading if you like, of course. If there's any more that you know of or you would like to share with us, please let us know. We can share them onto the Rampant Rundown Instagram page. Um, but if you're also looking to go a little bit further and you want to support some charities right now who are working in these fields, oftentimes the third sector is really at the forefront of the best work that's going on. So I would absolutely be checking out some of these charities and seeing how you can support them. The first of those is the Scottish Transgender Alliance, LGBTI Scotland Equality Network. And uh, they are actually an equality and human rights charity based around transgender people in Scotland. Their website is scottishtrans.org. Please check them out. They'll have all the contact details there if you want to get in touch with them. Or you can follow them on Twitter at Scottish Trans. Next up, a charity you may already know, Stonewall. Of course, they are an amazing charity. Um, you can visit stonewallscotland.org for a plethora of contact details, resources. They have so much information on their website about next to everything. They are genuinely one of the best charities in the UK right now. Um, and they've also got a lot of work on gender recognition reform. If you type that in their search bar, it will bring up lots of resources that you can see, facts, figures, further reading. They're fab. There's also Trans Pride Scotland, which is a movement aimed to bring together all of the trans population in one place and show strength, solidarity and mutual support. Um, you can follow them on Twitter at Trans Pride Scott. Another one that Indigo mentioned as well was the Small Trans Library Glasgow, um, which was uh, supporting trans people during lockdown during COVID-19. And they are on Twitter right now at Small Trans Libr. Liber. <laughs> you can go and check them out as well. Uh, what else? Who else is there? Oh, how can I forget? Mermaid UK. Um, I mentioned them last week at the end of the episode, but Mermaid UK are fantastic. Um, they're really, really fabulous. They help trans kids, uh, gender diverse kids, their families and other health professionals right now. They're at the forefront of some of the best work in the UK for trans people and I would urge you to go check out their website, find them in social media and please donate if you can. Their website is mermaids.uk.org. If you follow Monroe Bergdorf on Twitter, a uh, trans woman who is also an activist, she is always promoting Mermaids UK. She's uh, involved with them quite a lot. So, yeah, that's how I actually came across Mermaids UK was through her posting about them. But sadly, then, that brings us to the close of this week's episode. If you want to discuss any of the information that we've mentioned today, please get in touch with us at The Rampant Rundown on Instagram. We will also be sharing more resources to that at a later date, so please check them out there. 
If you want to get in touch with us as well, you can email us, therampantrundown at outlook.com. I always forget our email address because I never need to log in on my laptop. It's already saved. <laughs> so every week when I'm saying this, I always have to try and remember it. But it is. That's it. Therampantrundown at outlook.com. If you want to get in touch with us, have a chat, send us more info, share your story, please do. We'd love to hear it. I want to say a big thank you to everyone who's listened to this week's episode and tuned in. Thank you very much for staying with us right to the end. And I want to say a big thank you to this week's very special guest, Indigo Corres. It was an absolute pleasure talking to her and I can't wait to work with her sometime in the future. But anyway, let's finish now with our usual motto here at the Rampant Rundown, which is carve your own path, dance to your own tune and make your own magic. So until next week, it's bye for now. Bye!